Welcome in to the newest edition of the Checkerboard Chat. We're going to have a little March Madness preview here for you today. The men's team got their bracket, and we'll figure out the Lady Vols bracket tonight, and then we'll be talking about that tomorrow, and you'll be hearing this on Tuesday. But thank you for joining us. I'm Ryan Shumpert, joined as always in this first segment by Jeffrey Russell, our UT Daily Beacon men's basketball beat writer. Jeffrey, Tennessee has a pretty solid week in Nashville. They flash, play well in a game against Florida, and then fall to Alabama, look great in the first half before blowing a 15-point lead and losing 73-68. Just what were your biggest takeaways from the week in Nashville? Uh, I think you saw a team that kind, kind of turned a corner from where it was at the end of the season. I think, obviously, you don't like the collapse you saw at the end of the Alabama game, but I think that's just a tough matchup and being down the minutes that they were from John Fulkerson. I think they just kind of ran out of steam there at the end, but they fought valiantly. They were still trying to make plays to stay in the game. I think you got to like where they are at this point going into the tournament. I think, you know, even coming out of two losses or coming out of a loss to Alabama, you were going into the NCAA tournament feeling, you know, a lot better about the team that you're seeing compared to the last few games of the regular season. Yeah, certainly. And what they really did is they strung together some wins, and that's not something they've been able to do for a while. And obviously, they didn't win the Alabama game, but you did see a level of consistency that you hadn't really seen. They didn't look bad in that game, they played well. Now, you had the one stretch where they didn't score for four plus minutes. And that's really what that's, you know, they still could have won the game after that, but that's how they blew their big lead. So there were still some of the problems that they've had plaguing them, but you saw the energy, you saw them be able to make up for it with good defense and overall look crisper on the offensive end though. There were some moments of where you kind of saw the inconsistencies that we've seen all season. Yeah, I agree. I think you're, I, yeah, you're, you were playing against, I mean, one of the best teams in the nation. I think they were the fifth overall seed in the NCAA tournament or something like that. So you just can't, you obviously can't have runs like that against really good teams if you're trying to, you know, go win an NCAA championship. But I think you like, I think you definitely liked some of the things you saw with the intensity, the, the hustle on defense. And, you know, they were able to get out into transition. And you also saw Keon Johnson kind of make a return to form and the confidence of his play. So I, th- I think overall, there are a lot of good things to take away. Yeah, I think Keon was maybe one of my biggest takeaways of the week. He scored 20 points in that game against Alabama, 16 in the first half, had 13 in the game against Florida, but was pretty efficient, not like some of his performances where he scores double digits where he doesn't shoot very well. And Mm -hmm. he just had that intensity to him. He was very locked in, you could tell. And that's really four straight games. You go back to the Auburn game, Tennessee played really bad, but he, he played well in that game. And in the second half, had a lot of intensity, was very locked in. I think you're kind of seeing him start to take the reins and, you know, he's not as cons- as good of a scorer that he's going to be able to go out there and score 20 a night. Like, he just doesn't have that consistency. But I do think his ability to get to the basket, his athleticism, mixed with March being, you know, all about guards, I think he could be a guy that really drives Tennessee this week. And then the other thing that stood out to me in the Alabama game, really both games you saw it, after the Omar Payne, Elbow, Fulkerson, Tennessee, you know, really got up. You know, Pons got up in his face. The team was jawing at him, really responded, you know, played really good physical the rest of the game. And then the Alabama game after they had their kind of little bit of a collapse where Alabama went on a 14-0 run to make it a one-point game. Tennessee responded well. There was 12 minutes left in the game when Alabama was back within one. It, you know, at that point looked easily like Alabama was could have coasted to a seven, eight-point win where it wasn't close to the end. Obviously, the score ended up being five, but that was – one point game with 20 seconds left. So 
Tennessee really responded, and I think that's encouraging because they haven't done that at all times this year when they've had runs go against them in the second half. Mm-hmm. Yep. So going into the NCAA tournament, Tennessee ends or earns, excuse me, a five seed in the Midwest region. They will get Oregon State, the 12 seed, who was not set to make the NCAA tournament before a strong run in Las Vegas at the Pac-12 championship earned an automatic bid. What were your first takeaways when you saw Tennessee's bracket and who all they could be facing here in the next week? Uh, I think Oregon State, I think that was probably a, a good draw uh, coming. Maybe that's a hot take, but uh, I think that was a good draw coming out of the first round. I think you're playing a team that, you know, while they are playing some of the best basketball they have all season, it's a team that still realistically wasn't, like you were saying, wasn't going to be in the tournament unless they had made a run into uh, the Pac-12 tournament. So I think, you know, with good defense, I think you can kind of revert them back to the mean of what they've been all season. And I think you can get out of the first round. Now, after that, you know, a second round matchup with Cade Cunningham is probably looming. And uh, I think that'll be a a good matchup. I think your five stars are going to have to be just as good as he is, but um, you have the talent to make a sweet 16 run. And then I think after that, you know, probably a date with Iowa or not Iowa, uh, Illinois. And I think after that, it's just kind of the chips fall where they may, you know, you just got to be lucky at that point, but so does everybody. Yeah, certainly. I thought it was a pretty fair draw, Oregon State. Mm-hmm. Pretty easy first-round matchup. I mean, we'll talk about it more in a second. But like like we said, they weren't going to make the NCAA tournament. They're 85 in Ken Palm to give some reference. Mississippi State was 77 and Georgia was 93. So a game on paper Tennessee should take care of. And then I think Oklahoma State's a really hard matchup. I think on Saturday, now granted they lost in the to a Big 12 championship game in Texas on Saturday night. But on Saturday, I think they were a two-seed in Joe Lenardi's bracket. So – and they're playing as good as anybody in the country right now. So that's going to be a tough throw. Certainly a game Tennessee could win. I'm not trying to say they couldn't, but it kind of balances out. And then, like you said, if they do get to the second weekend, probably Illinois waiting. Illinois kind of in the middle of the the one seeds. Definitely rather see them than Baylor and Gonzaga. The way they've been playing, I'm not sure it would be. I think you'd probably rather see Michigan than them. But, you know, right in the middle, it seemed pretty fair. Easy first round, hard second round, middle third round. So I don't think there's really anything to complain about with Tennessee's draw. But moving into that first round matchup with Oregon State, we've mentioned a little bit on them. What exactly have you been able to figure out about them? And what do you think Tennessee should be facing? Uh, they got some good scorers in Ethan Thompson and Jared Lucas. I think those will be the guys that Tennessee will kind of have to slow down uh, once they get into the game. Oregon State for these past three games in their Pac-12 tournament shooting, I think they haven't shot less than 40% from behind the three-point line and one game over 50%. So they've been they've been hot consistently for those three games, but for the rest of the season, not so great. Uh, you know, shooting around, what does it say, almost 35, uh, 35% from three. So, you know, they're kind of almost like Tennessee from behind the three-point line. They're very inconsistent. Some guys can hit shots, but they're not really that great. They just seem to have caught fire at the end. Uh, one kind of matchup that I think will be good for Tennessee possibly is Oregon State does have a bigger guy, seven foot one, I think, Roman Silva. I think, you know, with Uro starting to make the run and, you know, play that he has, that'll be a good matchup for Tennessee to get some minutes off the bench because they'll have somebody he can match up against and not some six, eight, you know, stretch four that likes to play out on the wing. So I think Tennessee does have some solid matchup chance with some solid matchups with Oregon State. And I think talent will prevail whether Tennessee plays its best game or not. 
Yeah, I think that's a great point talking about Euros, especially if Fulkerson can't go, which at this point seems like a definitely a possibility. You're, mm-hmm. And we saw and we saw Saturday, Barnes is probably going to roll with Plasic no matter what the matchup is. I mean, Alabama was not a game that he matched up well, and which is credit to him. He came in and he played pretty solid. There were times that the things that he couldn't do kind of ex- exposed Tennessee, but overall he played well, and there's no doubt about that. So I think that's a really good point. And, yeah, like you said, most seasons struggled, won six of their last seven games. And I think, yeah, there was, you said the, you had the stat about the, how well they shot from three in the past, past four or five games. Ethan Stone, our, our volleyball beat writer, actually tweeted that last night. He had that in there, and then the other one in there would be a little bit concerning if you're Tennessee is that they've been 32nd in offensive rebounding efficiency in their past 10 games. So another way you can attack Tennessee. Another thing that I think bodes well for them, like you said, having two guards, Ethan Thomas and Jared Lucas. I think you've seen a lot of time from Tennessee plays teams this year to have a little bit less talent than them and only have one go-to guard. Tennessee can really shut them down. They can rotate guys on them, good defenders, really focus their defense around them. McKinley Wright to start the year was a perfect example of that. They're not going to be able to do that as much for Oregon State, but like you said, a game that you would think that Tennessee would be able to take care of. Yeah, I, th- I think it's a, a nice game to get your feet wet against a, a team that's probably feeling like the best it's going to feel, you know, this season. Uh, a nice get-right game to start the NCAA tournament and gain some confidence for what's sure to be a probably pretty hard second-round matchup. Yeah, definitely. And I will say one thing, kind of closing out the Oregon State talk, but their head coach, Wayne Tinkle, Barnes was talking really complimentary of him yesterday. And, you know, I'm just kind of assuming that was coach speak at the time. I mean, they all they always do. And I don't think he's ever probably coached against his teams at Oregon State or Montana. But then I looked it up, and I mean, he's been an incredible, been incredibly impressed with what he's done at Oregon State. The nine years before he was there, Oregon State had just one winning season. This is his seventh season. That'll be their fifth winning season. One of them, they went 500. And then before he'd gotten there, Oregon State hadn't made the NCAA tournament since 1990. Now they've made it. This is the second time, and obviously they weren't all that good this year, or as good as you know the usual NCAA tournament team is. But Making the NCAA tournament is making the NCAA tournament. So I thought that was really impressive. And always, you know, coaching is very big in March. And I'm having a good coach is a little bit of a equalizer. But again, seems like a game Tennessee should take care of. Tennessee has a good coach as well. And Rick Barnes. Moving forward, we mentioned, mentioned him a second ago, John Fulkerson. Still questionable, had a procedure Sunday night and is back joining with the team. And I believe Sunday night in Nashville as they head to Indianapolis on Monday. Just how big of a deal would it be if John Fulkerson cannot go this weekend? I think for the first game against Oregon State, I think you can you can get by them without him. I think you're good enough. I think you have the the right pieces to to get through that game without him. After after that, I think if you're playing Oklahoma State, you're you're definitely putting yourself behind the eight ball. I think the way he started to play near the end of the season and was playing in both of those games against Florida, it seemed like he had kind of found his rhythm finally. And if you don't have that, I think it's definitely going to be tough because you're going to be putting more pressure on uh, Eve's Ponds and, you know, whoever's coming off the bench to give him a spell uh, once he needs a break. So you're, you're definitely stretching yourself a little thin there. I think you can, you can do it, but I definitely think it'll be tough to get past that second round game. Yeah, I completely agree. And like you, like you said a second ago, it doesn't kill them matchup wise not to have them against Oregon state. I think it's Oklahoma state. It does hurt in a couple of different ways. One, Oklahoma State is not a particularly big front court. They have a lot of those six, eight guys. They're not all necessarily great shooters, but they're really good athletes. And that could be a little bit of a matchup issue for Plosic. 
But the other thing I think is big is if Fulkerson can't go, Eves is probably going to have to be guarding the big guys a lot of times. And, yeah, you can probably give him some runs on Cade Cunningham, some short ones when you have Plastic in the game or Olivier or any of those guys. But you're not going to be able to have him be one of the primary guys on Cade Cunningham. And if Tennessee were to play Cade Cunningham, I would think you'd be throwing Keon Johnson and Eves Ponds at him, rotating them consistently. And really, for the most part, mainly just those two guys. Probably, I'm sure they'll have some other guys guard him a little bit too. But, I mean, that's where it's going to start and end with Oklahoma State. So, I think that would hurt them because it would just limit what they could do defensively and kind of force Pons to play strictly in the interior. Yeah, yeah. It, it strictly, yeah, I agree. It runs back to just what you can do defensively without him because defense is kind of where they're going to hang their hat. I think they can, you know – keep up the same consistency that they had offensively. You know, they did in the past two games. They shot around 44% and shot around 35% from three, which Tennessee can do if they play stellar defense. And, uh, you know, they started to break down against Alabama with the turnovers. And, you know, like you were saying, that four minutes of unmade baskets. But defensively, I think they'll – I think that's where they'll have to lock in if they don't have Fulkerson. Yeah, I completely agree. It – yeah, that's just where it limits what you can do because of what Tennessee's depth is down low. It just makes things a little tighter. And you saw that at the end of the Alabama game because Tennessee wanted to switch those ball screens, and they either had to play with Scovey or they had to play Plosich. And now Fulkerson on Javon Quinterly wouldn't have been a great matchup either, but you, it's a better matchup than Plosich on him. And Tennessee was playing that balancing act of Alabama was just going to go Herb Jones at Scovey or Quinterly at Plosich, and it certainly would have helped them a little bit to have Fulkerson. But moving on, I don't want to, you know, give Liberty too much disrespect because I think they are a good 13 seed. And they yeah. beat South Carolina, beat Mississippi State this year, played a couple of other Power 5 teams close. So they're a good team, I think, certainly could beat Oklahoma State. But as impressive as Oklahoma State's been, you would think that's who they would Tennessee would get in the second round if they made it there. What, do you, what have you seen from Oklahoma State and just how challenging of a second round draw would this be? Yeah, first yeah, first of all, I'd say uh, I don't think anybody would be too upset if Liberty got the job done against Oklahoma State. I think Rick Barnes and his staff would be uh, A-OK with that matchup happening in the second round. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think what you were saying, it just comes down to can you keep up and can you keep up offensively and can you shut down Cade Cunningham defensively? Because, I mean, he averages 20 points and six rebounds. He shoots 40 percent from, you know, behind the line and almost – 45% from the field. Uh, he, They kind of go as he goes. Obviously, they have some good players, but shutting down that matchup is important. I think what Avery Anderson averages 11 points, but nobody is in double digits after those two. So I think shutting, you know, trying to shut Cade Cunningham down. He's a good player. He's going to be the number one pick in the draft. So obviously you can't shut him down completely. He's going to get his buckets, but keeping him in check and maybe shutting down Anderson is kind of the key to stopping Oklahoma State. Yeah, I completely agree. And like we were saying a minute ago, teams that only have one really good guard, Tennessee has been able to maintain them for the most part. Now that they haven't played anybody as good as Cade Cunningham, so it'll be a whole other challenge. What I do kind of like about it, not that you know those guys need any more motivation in the NCAA tournament, but Keon Johnson and James Springer being guys, five-star recruits, going to most likely be going to the NBA draft in the first round. I talk about a matchup that they, should, they will be a 1,000% fired at the play can probably make a good amount of money if they have good performances against Kate Cunningham. So you would have a lot of motivation in that. End. And then just kind of talking about how good Oklahoma State's been playing. They've won eight out of their last 10 games. 
eight of those teams they've played, two of them have been the losses, have been against ranked teams. They beat Baylor just last week. They played Baylor close the week before. A couple of those wins, I believe, one over West Virginia they got without Cade Cunningham. So as good as Cade Cunningham is, as much as he is the main guy, this team has shown that they can beat good teams and be good without him. So certainly not just a one-trick pony. Finishing out here in this first segment, we did this last week with SEC tournament. We'll do it again this week. Tennessee advances to the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. They make the Sweet 16. How did they do it? Tennis, uh, Eve Pons looks like and is, lives up to the moniker of SEC Defensive Player of the Year from two years ago or a year ago. And your five stars play like five stars. Keon started to show it in the SEC tournament, and Jaden's shown it earlier in the year. I think if they can step up to the mantle and carry you past Oregon State and uh, Oklahoma State and give Fulkerson some time to heal, uh, I think you got to be as confident as anybody going into that Illinois game. I think, you know, at that point, you got to beat a good team to advance. So I think Pond's playing up to the potential that he's continued to play at these last few weeks, and your five stars stepping up is what matters. Yeah, I'll, I'll pause a little bit because the Ponce thing, I don't, we, we completely missed talking about. I mean, he was fantastic on defense in the SEC tournament, nine blocks in that game against Florida, tied the SEC tournament record. And, you know, I think we've talked, we talked about it on here a couple of times probably, but I think a real concern was could he get back to 100% on the defensive end with his knee? Because, you know, he wasn't going to have surgery on it, could just rest alone do that. And we've now seen when Tennessee's had two straight full weeks off going into weekend games. He's looked much more explosive. He looks like the player he was last year. I think that has to be a really encouraging sign for Tennessee. But going into my two two keys, and Pons is one of them. I think they need either Pons or Josiah James to play well on offense. I think you should have some trust in what Keon can do. Jaden, even though he hasn't been quite as good overall, feel like he's going to be a guy to give double digits. Can Josiah James or East Pons be a little bit of an X factor on offense? Give you 13 to 15 points in both those games, get a little hot for a good two-game stretcher. You know, Victor Bailey's another guy that could do it. I think those two are a little bit more important just because the ways they can score in diversity ways that Bailey's mostly going to hit the three-point shots. And then the other thing I'd say, Tennessee wins the rebounding battle on the week. I think that would be huge. I think, like we mentioned a second ago, it'll be difficult against Oregon State. They're a good rebounding team. Oklahoma State isn't quite as strong as a rebounding team, and I think that's a way – Tennessee can have a little bit of an equalizer in that matchup with Oklahoma State. I think the Cowboys are probably a little bit better than Tennessee, but offensive rebounding, we've seen it a few times this year bite Tennessee where it was an equalizer the other way when Tennessee had more talent. So I think that'll be big, and I think that could be a, a way Tennessee gets into the Sweet 16 for the second time of the Rick Barnes era. That will do it for this segment of Checkerboard Chat. We will be back in segment two talking to Josh Lane and talking about the Lady Vols is they'll have their draw in March Madness as they get ready to go on Sunday or Monday. All right, welcome back to segment two. We're now going to talk a little bit of Tennessee Lady Vols basketball. And I'm joined here, as always, by Josh Lane, our assistant sports editor and one of our Lady Vols beat writers. As Tennessee lands as a three seed in the Riverwalk region. And I, I, I want to start by saying shout outs in a woman's bracket for not doing the regions Midwest, South, yeah. West. Well, East, I guess, is the other one, like the men's team did when they're all playing. They're playing everything in the same city. I was laughing at that Sunday. That didn't really make any sense. Yeah, so with my understanding, I think those are all landmarks in, in maybe San Antonio or Texas where the tournament is being held. So definitely, definitely creative. On yeah, I knew basketball the, part. yeah, I knew the top two. Like, and obviously, Riverwalk, I knew it was in San Antonio. But I was glad they were not in the bottom two 
regions because I had no idea how to pronounce what, the, what those <laughs> things were. Yeah, yeah, I know. But Tennessee comes in as a three seed. They will get the 14 seed Middle Tennessee State in the first game. Joshua, what were your first takeaways when you saw the bracket unfold? Yeah, I mean, looking at the uh, the Riverwalk region with Tennessee landing number three seed, not not a ton of surprise there, you know, given the success Tennessee had this year. Obviously, not you know one of the top ten teams in the in women's basketball, but they're just kind of right outside that group. So you know, three or four seed, that's kind of what we were expecting, and you know, landing that makes sense. Um, but you look further into their region, there there's plenty of competition there, and you know, I know we'll get to that later, but you got. UConn, you got Baylor, you got Kentucky, you got a bunch of other pretty good teams. So Tennessee's definitely going to have their work cut out for them. But um, just kind of on the general general seating, no no really surprises there for the Lady Vols. I think they I think they got that right. You were able to talk to Kelly Harper on Monday night after the bracket came out. Whether that was something she said about the past week they've had in practice or the bracket itself, what, what stood out that Coach Harper had to say? Yeah, well, I mean – kind of off the top they were just super happy to even be at this point in the season right you know last year canceled a lot of uncertainty this year they had two COVID pauses and so just to get to this point that was kind of her kind of main the you know the first thing she mentioned but Tennessee is really optimistic you know they've they said all year that they believe they can they can play with anybody they have the talent too and you know they know the work's going to be cut out for them like I mentioned there's a lot of there's a lot of good teams uh in this region so they're gonna have to play well but they're definitely confident. You know, they know their abilities. They've been working on themselves and their issues over the last two weeks or so since they've, uh, you know, since that South Carolina game in the SEC tournament. So they're gonna have, they're gonna bring lots of confidence in, in themselves and in their abilities. And you know, that's 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 really kind of the biggest thing that Kelly Harper was preaching yesterday. Yeah, it should certainly be interesting. And that all starts with MTSU and in-state matchup, an interesting Tennessee tie with. Former Lady Vol Anastasia Hayes really being MTSU's best player. Just what are your kind of takeaways on the matchup? And do you feel like that's a little bit of an advantage? Tennessee gets a former player that I'm sure they'll have scouted better than anyone they've had scouted all year. Yeah, yeah. They, there's definitely some familiarity there. You know, when you when the player you ask players and coaches about that, they tend to not make a big deal as the media about it is. But you know, you know, a former player being there and whatnot. But there's definitely familiarity there. They know. Uh, who she is and you know as a team this middle Tennessee team they can they score really well they you know 74 points a game they average you know they shoot about 40 percent they make a bunch of threes so definitely going to be a challenge for Tennessee in that regard you know Tennessee's been subpar maybe average at best on defense this year um, so you know challenging them with uh, some high scoring is you know that'll definitely be tough for Tennessee as you mentioned Anastasia Hayes um, they're you know 26 points per game is what she's averaging um, you know, she transferred out under Harley Warlick. So definitely familiarity there. But her younger sister's on the team, too, uh, Aislinn Hayes. And she's their second leading scorer. So, you know, that's kind of cool sibling uh, siblings there. But they're leading the way, a high-scoring offense. They were the CUSA champs. So definitely should be should be a challenge for Tennessee. But I, I still think that that they're favored in this one. Yeah, certainly. It's, it's kind of an interesting matchup to talk about the three-point shooting. That's always when you're going to NCAA tournament games potential looking at the upsets that's that's the equalizer in college basketball and obviously Ray Burrell is a really good three-point shooter but Tennessee itself overall as a team is not great three-point shooting but like you said I feel like you see these upsets for one happen less in women's basketball and two you add on the size advantage Tennessee's going to have in the interior you would think Tennessee would really be able to run up the rebounding count and really be able to run up 
the scoring in the paint count against MTSU, but we will see that on Sunday. Looking forward a little bit, if Tennessee gets around one win, they will get the winner of the 6-11 game, which is Michigan and Florida Gulf Coast. How would you kind of handicap each team's chances of advancing there, and do you think Tennessee matches up better with one of those teams in particular? Yeah, they're 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 pretty similar on the on the surface level as far as what they do. I think uh, Florida Gulf Coast they they score they're a little more proficient in their scoring. Um, they 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 shoot threes better than uh, MTSU did. They I think they average eleven threes per game. So you know you talk about that kind of equalizer, but that that could definitely be something that you know if they do face uh, Florida Gulf Coast that could be something for Tennessee to watch out for because as you mentioned they've not been shooting great threes all year they haven't really played good three-point defense all year so that could be it but you know um michigan they're kind of the uh well they, they were they their conference play was not as good as they hoped for they kind of struggled through that and then they lost in the first round of the big 10 tournament so you know florida gulf coast they swept through their tournament um the atlantic sun championship i believe so you know they're kind of the hotter team there so i would think you know, for, if I had to pick, probably Florida Gulf Coast. But I do think that Tennessee matches up better against Michigan. Like I said, they don't score as well. They don't force as many turnovers. Their defense isn't quite as good as Florida Gulf Coast. So, you know, it, I think it's still probably a toss-up, maybe them. And, you know, at this point, I don't think Tennessee is really super – has a big preference about who they play. Um, you know, I think they'll probably make it past that round anyways. But, uh, you know, if – you know, just for, for me to say, I think probably Tennessee for plays a little better against Michigan. Yeah, I okay, got two follow-ups on one on both those teams that I, I didn't have on our layout. But Michigan, you know, the men's team, and I, I think almost all did all their teams shut down for like three or four weeks due to COVID. Was that the same with the women's team? Um I don't I know I don't know for sure, but I I, I believe they did. Um I can check I mean I but I'm pretty sure they did. I imagine if the men's team uh was shut down. Yeah, there's a couple of weeks postponement here. I, oh yeah, they had a bunch. Looks like four or five in a row. So, yeah, they definitely. Uh, you know, like I said, they lost a bunch of conference play. Now we've seen that they've had about six or seven games postponed. You know, they haven't haven't played as much basketball as as Gulf Coast has. So that could be something to watch there. Yeah, certainly that should be something interesting. And I I'd imagine they've been playing a lot of games the last few weeks too to try to make up the games that they missed. I know that's been the same with the men's team. So probably a little less freshness from Michigan as you might see from Florida Gulf Coast. But on Florida Gulf Coast, I mean, I made the comment a minute ago, you don't see as many upsets or mid-majors in women's college basketball would be really good. But Florida Gulf Coast, I mean, earned an 11 seed. That's that's really impressive. What what this during the regular season were they able to do to kind of build their resume and, and get such a high, high seed for a, a smaller school? Yeah, well, I mean, they, they flat out just won games. They were, what, 26 and two in, in their regular season. So, I mean, they just... They dominated every opponent. I mentioned the high scoring that they had, um, like 80 points per game they were averaging, which is pretty good. <laughs> That's pretty high for women's basketball. Um, they were forcing a bunch of turnovers. They had an insane uh, turnover or point differential. I think it was about 24 points. So, you know, they're they're scoring high. They're limiting you from scoring. They play good defense. Right? They got a couple um, of really good scores here. Uh, Kirsten Bell and Deshara Morehouse, um, they're, they're leading scorers. So, you know, that duo – has been pretty good for them all year. So, you know, they're, they're just flat out outscoring their opponents and, you know, limiting, forcing a bunch of turnovers. Yeah, obviously, we will talk a lot more about this next week on the podcast of Tennessee is to make it past 
Middle Tennessee and then the winner of Michigan or Florida Gulf Coast. But the two teams with higher seeds in the Riverwalk region is UConn as the one seed and Baylor as the two seed. Just what are your kind of initial takeaways on those two teams? Obviously, Tennessee's already played UConn. How do you feel like they kind of match up? Yeah, I mean, for my money, UConn is is the best team in women's basketball this year. They've got the best player in women's basketball in Paige Beckers. I mean, I think they're, they're probably the obvious favorites for this region. I I just I don't know how any other team can beat them. And you mentioned Tennessee played them earlier this year. They, they kept it pretty competitive. It was up until just the final minutes of the fourth quarter that – you can't really pull away, but you know, I mean, basically their starting five is 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 always some of the top top players in the in the year. They were the Big East champs. Um, Beckers was a was the Big East Player of the Year, the Freshman of the Year. I mean, they're they're absolutely loaded. They score at a high rate. They get they out rebound you by a bunch. They have good defense. They force a lot of turnovers. They'll get a bunch of assists. They're passing the ball around. I mean, th- I, th- I think they're the best team in women's basketball. So it's. <laughs> It's going to be a challenge for Tennessee, just to say the least. But, you know, I, I imagine if Tennessee makes it, they're definitely going to have to play UConn. And in Baylor, you know, the, I guess they're the defending champs. They won it all in 2019. So no no tournament last year. I think they're still defending champs. Um, you know, they're just they're just slightly below UConn. They do it all well, all pretty well, too. Uh, Nalissa Smith leading the way there. Super high scorer. She was Big 12 Player of the Year. Um, led Baylor to the Big 12 Championship. So, Definitely two of the top teams in the country. Um, like I said, it's going to be a challenge for Tennessee, but but they're up for it. You know, Kelly Upper, Anaya Davis, you know, yesterday they mentioned they, they still have confidence in themselves. They think they can play with anybody. Yeah, certainly some really big name college bas- or college women's basketball brands in that Riverwalk region, Tennessee and UConn, probably the two most famous programs of all time. And Baylor's been as successful as anyone other than UConn in the past 15 years. So, should be a lot of fun, but obviously a lot to get to for the Lady Vols before that, a matchup with MTSU on Sunday. And then if they win that, a Tuesday matchup with the winner of Michigan and Florida Gulf Coast. At utdailybeacon.com, we'll have complete coverage of that, as well as complete coverage of Tennessee's men's basketball team in Indianapolis playing on Friday and then again on Sunday if they can get past Oregon State. Thank you for joining us this edition of the Checkerboard Chat. I'm Ryan Shumpert, joined by Jeffrey Russell in the first segment, Josh Lena here in the second. You guys have a great rest of your day.